We're continuing on in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the title is Church Order. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks, we're going to see the function of leaders, of servants, and of believers. And so today we're just going to look at leaders. We're going to look at leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And there are a lot of different ideas about leadership from a secular and spiritual perspective. Some secular ideas about leadership actually are pretty close to biblical But so many people have so much to say about leadership. I mean, how to lead books are often bestsellers. One of the things we're going to see today, even though we're in the Pauline epistles, right, is that leadership in the Christian mindset is not about being the big boss. It's really about following Jesus' model, which is servant leadership. And as we look at the qualifications for servant leadership, we're going to talk about how Jesus demonstrated these qualifications in his earthly ministry. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to a young pastor, Timothy, instructing him in leadership, in servanthood, in church order, and among believers. But let me just give you a few quotes about leadership, just to give us an idea of what perspectives are out there about leadership in the world. General George Patton said, lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. Napoleon said, a leader is a dealer in hope. Aristotle said, he who has never learned to obey cannot be a good leader. Tony Blair, a former prime minister to Britain, said, the art of leadership is saying no, not saying yes. It's very easy to say yes. Andrew Carnegie said, no man will make a great leader who wants to do it all by himself or to get all the credit for doing it. Dwight Eisenhower said, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it. Eleanor Roosevelt said, do what you feel in your heart to be right, for you'll be criticized anyway. John Adams said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, and do more, and become more, you're a leader. A Latin proverb said, it is absurd that a man should rule others who cannot rule himself. Michael Jordan said, earn your leadership every day. I could go on and on with these leadership quotes, and there are some good ones, but we're going to be looking at what biblical leadership looks like within the local church as we'll look at the qualifications of those who are in leadership. Because everything, you've heard it said, everything rises and falls with leadership, whether it's in the family or at church. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to God's kids for us to use in and out of church. And among these gifts are pastors and teachers, which we began to look at in chapter 2. One pastor said this. He said, though the church is an organism, it must be organized or it will die. So leadership is part of the spiritual, if you will, like organization. Leadership is not about power. It is about God ordering local churches so that things can run smoothly and run, run God's way, really, his way. And so what we'll see today is specific qualifications for leadership within the local church. And you're like, what does that matter to me? Why does that matter to us? Well, because as believers, we should know the order of things according to the Lord, right? And then, and so as we talk about these qualifications for leadership in scripture, a lot of them will be relevant to the attitudes and character traits that Christians are to have as well. So context-wise, these character traits are required for church leadership, but they're also relevant to everyday believers as well. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the scripture this morning. 
Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for the opportunity to freely open your word here, Lord. And we just pray as your word is open that our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us today as a church and also individually, Lord. You're so faithful to meet us right where we're at, God. And so we thank you for this morning, for this time to gather. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So in the context, Paul's writing about leadership in the church, which he calls bishops. And bishops is synonymous with pastors. They're the same. It's bishop, pastor, and elder are synonymous. So Paul doesn't want to give the impression that just any guy can lead. You know, nor is a leadership ever found just by the outward appearance. We know that from Jesse's sons. Remember Jesse's sons? Some of those dudes looked the part, right? They looked tall and muscular, like that, that guy looks like a leader, right? But their hearts weren't fully for God. Little redhead shepherd boy David did not look like a godly leader. You wouldn't pick him out of a lineup and say, I want, it. I want him on my team. You know what I mean? Like when you used to choose for teams back when you were a kid, it's like he would have been chosen last. Like that little guy, I guess we have to take him, right? But that was David. He did not look like a leader, yet his heart was on fire for the Lord. And in that instance, and in Romans, God makes it clear, it's not about the outward, it's about the heart. If your heart is far from God, you have no business leading the people of God. Have you ever been to a job where you're wondering, how did the boss become the boss? How did that guy? Don't say any names. I'm just saying, I'm just saying have you ever been a bot? You're at a job, you're like, I don't get it. Was this handed down to them? It's kind of shocking. Like, how did this person become a leader? I, I remember I had one boss long ago that would come into work just for a short time, probably for like 20 minutes and talk to me to get updates. I was the assistant manager. Uh, he was a, the manager. And it was fine. I did, I did the work. I, I ran the store or whatever. But he would just come in to check in, and then he'd leave and go on vacation. He would do whatever he does. You know, he didn't really come into work. But it was fine. I was like, whatever. I'm getting paid to do this. I'm doing this. But what got me was when we were on conference calls once a week, you know, that they, they would praise our store. It's so good. It's so organized. It's going so well. Great job on the success. And my boss would be like, oh, no problem. I, you know, I'm just doing what I can do. Like, he would take all the credit. And I was like, what? And don't worry, I'm over it. I'm not bitter about that at all anymore. I'm just saying. But, but at the time, I was like, okay. It drove me kind of crazy because he didn't really do anything other than check in here and there to make sure everything was running well. Well, within the local church, there are certain traits and character, like earmarks, that leadership should have in order to lead. And the word bishop, the title bishop in Greek means overwatcher or overseer. And again, another term for bishop would be elder or pastor. So Paul's writing that those who desire to be a bishop desire a good work. Paul is saying that this is an honorable work. He's also instructing young Timothy to be careful and in tune with the Lord when raising up people for leadership. Make sure those who are representing God, because that's a high calling, they're representing God, make sure they're used to extend his kingdom. Make sure they're godly. 
In certain countries, there are government-run churches, and I've heard stories from my missionary friends of how sad it is because these ministers or pastors, they, their heart's far from God. They, some of them aren't even believers. They're not even Christians. But they're like, you know what? This is a job. This is how I make my income. So I go in this huge, elaborate church with about five to ten people. I go and talk about God for a little while, and then I go home because I need a paycheck. And it's so sad because they're doing the outward work, but their heart is not even close to God. But God doesn't choose people at random, right? There are certain qualifications they must have. And we see in verse 2, leadership has to do more with discipline than giftedness. Someone can be so gifted at something but be totally disorganized and lazy. When it comes to worldly success, statistically, it's the hard workers that succeed more than those who have a gift. I've seen so many people gifted at talking about and teaching the word. There was one guy at our church years ago that he just, any verse he said, where's this verse? He would just know, he knew the whole Bible. It's like he had a photographic, but he just knew it. And so many people can know the word so well, but they don't really have the discipline and they waver in the faith. And so they're not used to capacity by the Lord. See, the Lord doesn't instruct Timothy to go out and find the most gifted people for Lee. Who's the most gifted in this town? They're the most talented and gifted? Let's take him. No. In a spiritual sense, if you will, grit is more important than gifts. Grit means perseverance and passion for a long-term and meaningful goal, to persist in something that you feel passionate about despite obstacles. Leadership is the I'm always growing mindset. Leadership is the God is still working on my life and I'm taking it seriously mindset. Leadership is someone who puts their hand to the plow, biblical term, puts their hand to the plow and does what they need to do to get the job done. Leadership is serving God and serving his people. And Paul writes emphatically, he says, must be. And so this is a list of character traits that are a must when it comes to leadership. And again, it's not about perfection. It's about character, a character that is spiritually mature. So in verse 2 through 7, in Pauline fashion, he makes a list. Paul loved lists. Some of these are self-explanatory, but we're going to define these qualifications. And so the first one is blameless. This word means nothing to take hold upon. This means there's nothing valid that a person can look to in a church about leadership and attack it. Does this mean no one will disagree with leadership decisions within the church? No. There will be lies. There will be people who come against the church because it's not what they want. They, they tried to implement what they wanted. They tried to get their agenda to pass, but it didn't, so they're mad. That's always going to happen. But blameless in this context has to do with church doing what God prescribed the church to do. It's about doing things God's way. It's about the pastor getting direction from God and making God-led decisions. Blameless means having a track record that is not perfect, but is that, con- that is consistent. No pastor who is in habitual, continual sin should ever be leading a local church. Blameless means above reproach. And I love how the pastor, uh, Billy Graham, I love what he did when he went into elevators. Like, he always had a guy friend or an assistant go into elevators with him because one of his um, ways to be above reproach is like, you know, if he's like, if his reasoning is if I get in the elevator by myself and there's a bunch of people, I get to the 10th floor and I come out and there's only one other woman in there with me, how is that going to look? So he always, in elevators even, took a guy friend with him so he can be above reproach. He didn't want anyone to point to an instance and accuse him of something that he didn't do. 
A pastor of a local church should be a husband of one wife. This doesn't mean that the leader in the church has to be married. I mean, Paul wasn't married for much of his ministry, but it means that the leader must be the leader must be husband of one wife, giving all his affection to his wife. Unfortunately, a lot of stories we hear of churches dividing and falling apart has to do with leaders messing around and giving their affection to those who are not their wives. Recently, there's been a couple, and it's horrible. This is why every believer, including pastors, need accountability with a person of the same gender. I always want to encourage this. Years ago, I mean, years ago, I offered to be someone's accountability partner. I knew they didn't have accountability partner. I knew they didn't have really any guy friends. And I was like, hey, I'll, you can, I'll be your accountability partner if you want. And I, I came with a genuine heart. And I was like, you can call me at 3 a.m. if you're struggling. And I'll pray for you. Just, I'll, well, I'll be on call to be your accountability partner. And, and I thought I was doing a good thing. And I was, because I believe everyone needs accountability partners. Pretty sure he took offense to that because he, he left the church. He never came back. I'm, like, I, I'm not saying he was weak. I was saying, let's, let's get together and share our weaknesses so that we can lift each other up. No one is above needing an accountability partner. Think, think of it in terms of life stuff. It's a new year, right? When you think of a new year, what are people going to do? You go to the gym. The gyms are probably full. The diet programs, you know, those are probably blowing up. With Everyone wants to do something, right? You have accountability partner when you're trying to eat right or go to the gym or, or stay off social media or whatever. You have someone to put you in check when you're tempted with something, and that's a good thing. So pastors are to be husband of one wife, leading their household well. A husband who manages his own house well is then qualified and able to manage activities within the church. And obviously, Jesus was sinless, right? Yet the religious leaders were constantly accusing him. Yet they were all false accusations. None of them held weight. A leader is to be temperate. This means reliable and trustworthy. They don't have wide mood swings and do not go to extremes. Spouses, this is not the time to look at each other. I'm just saying, you have no mood swings, don't go to extremes. Really, our character is not meant to be extreme, but rather moderate and consistent. The context is leadership, but at the same time, we as believers are to have a lot of these same character traits. You know, being temperate means to exercise sober, sensible judgment in all things. Well, what if a Christian is just intense and extreme, though? We'll pray for them and allow the Lord to work on their heart and life. Refinement isn't forced. It's given by God. Jesus was peaceable and temperate. He didn't go to extremes. There were a few instances where it seemed like his actions were extreme, you know, turning over the tables and everything, but those were justified for Jesus was led by God. That was holy anger. But don't use your anger as holy anger if you get angry at your family. I'm just saying. Be sober-minded, which means to think with clarity. The pastor must have a serious attitude about his work, which is serving people and teaching God's word. He knows the value of things and doesn't cheapen the ministry or water down the gospel message by foolish behavior. This doesn't mean the pastor doesn't have a sense of humor or stale or boring or whatever. As Christians, we're allowed to joke. I know a few pastors who half their sermon, people laugh. They're not even trying to be funny. They're just funny people. They're funny guys. But they're just funny. That's okay. It's okay to laugh at jokes that are appropriate. And it's okay to have fun and exercise fullness of joy. But being sober-minded means the pastor takes ministry seriously. You take your calling seriously. And as believers, we should take God seriously. To take the calling of God has for our lives seriously. It doesn't mean stoic. Rather, it means to revere God and run our race. Jesus was sober-minded because his mind was upon God constantly. 
A leader must be of good behavior. So this means orderly, modest, dignified. The pastor should be organized in his thinking and living. And again, the context is leadership. But many of these character traits can relate to believers as well. Good behavior should be a no-brainer, right? It's not like the pastor should have good behavior, but I don't need to. Like all, all of us should. But the sad thing is there are many believers who have bad behavior. They gossip. They start contentions. They, they give Christianity a bad witness. And here's the truth. Your attitude matters. Your demeanor matters. The way you live your life matters. Jesus had good behavior. He had godly behavior. If a person, if a person doesn't have self-control when it comes to behavior, then the person should not be a leader. They're to be hospitable. They're willing and able to open up their home to friends and strangers. Now, the definition really is loving the strangers. Hospitable, loving the strangers. Now, kids, don't talk to strangers, but adults, we are, we are to reach out to those who we, know, who we know and don't know and let them know about the Lord. And, and this was actually an important ministry in the first century because people would travel a lot, and there weren't Airbnbs or hotels or little condos or whatever. People would travel, and they'd actually just knock on someone's door, a stranger, and, and ask them to stay the night. I mean, for us, it sounds kind of crazy and strange in our day, but that's what they did back then. That was normal. Cult, it was culturally normalized. So the Christians, they would take these people in for the night, and if they were Christians, the hosts, they could either be a good witness for Jesus or a bad witness for Jesus. So people built ministries around this. This was a legit ministry back in the day, so hospitality, it matters greatly. And being hospitable, it matters today as well. Just when someone's kind to you and, and you find out like they're genuine, you're, they're like, you're just like, I like you. <laughs> I think you're a great person because you're so kind and nice. When people are hospitable to me, I instantly respect them as a person. But Jesus, he was hospitable and demonstrated true care through his actions. Also, a leader has to be able to teach skilled enough to teach the Bible in groups or one-on-one. -on -one. A pastor must be careful, a careful student of God's word. And one commentator said, a pastor who is lazy in his study is a disgrace in the pulpit. It's like, tell me how you really feel. That's like, wow. But really, this is spot on. There are some who occupy pulpits who have no business teaching. They have a Bible up there, but they don't even open it. They may have, you know, their oratory skills could be, they draw you in. They're just, there's some people who, you, they just talk and you're just like, uh -huh, just keep talking. Like you just, you're listening, you're just like, wow, that's amazing. But they ruin scripture by a bad exegesis stemming from off doctrine. Obviously, Jesus' words are scripture, so he was teaching the people, and the, you're teaching, and the people were responding, but... Also, another requirement is not given to wine. And now this verse doesn't prohibit leadership from drinking alcohol, but what it does, it discourages it because alcohol is addictive and can lead to alcoholism. And so the idea in relation to this translation has to do with sitting a long while or a long time with the cup. That's the definition. It means drinking for a long period of time, getting drunk on a regular basis. Some members of the Corinthian church, they got drunk even during the love feast that accompanied the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. When I poured concrete, my, my boss, I don't know how he would do it, but years ago, uh, he would get like a 24-pack of beer and drink it all day and afterwards get another 24. I'm like, how do you fit all that in your... It was crazy, and, and, but he was, what he was doing was he was masking his, his pain and his problems with alcohol. Jesus was actually accused of being a drunkard and a glutton by the religious leaders, you know? Like, was he? No. He had self-control. He was temperate. 
Also, a leader is not to be violent. There shouldn't be any hotheads in leadership. Violent here means contentious or a striker. You know, this doesn't mean we are to be doormats and let everyone walk all over us either, but it does mean we are not quick to fight and brawl. Also, don't carry around a theological revolver firing shots to debate as you're sharing God's word. Those who love to argue, they, they may make great lawyers, but, but in the church of God, like we're not here to, to sit around and just argue all day. Some people are just quick to strike. They love it. It's like they're exhilarated when they're able to prove their point. Not a, not a good character trait for leadership within the church. Our motivation and intention should be to win souls, not to crush others in arguments. Jesus was not violent. He was peaceable. Not greedy for money. Sadly, a lot of leadership in churches, all, you know, all they talk about is money, and they're using the church for selfish gain. Now, statistically, most pastors get paid nothing or next to nothing and are bivocational. But the point is, as the church grows, the pastor is never to fleece the flock or use the church for, uh, for selfish gain, even when he's hired on full time. Jesus spoke against those who were rich a lot, not because he was prejudiced, but because the love of money was a huge issue and stumbling block for a lot of people. Jesus never even had any money. He never even had a home from a worldly perspective. A leader is to be gentle, someone who follows Jesus' example. The pastor must be able to listen to people and not let unwarranted criticism cause him anger. With the exception of a few times having holy anger, Jesus was gentle and took criticism well. He, a lot of times he wouldn't even answer those who were criticizing him. He was just like, it was awesome. He remained peaceable. He didn't have a harsh countenance. He dealt with sinners with an attitude of grace and love. He's our example. Not quarrelsome. The kind of person who's not always fighting over something. And, and again, pastors are to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. They can disagree without being disagreeable. I love that. I love when someone disagrees with, with me, but we still are friends. Like, that's being, being lost in our day-to-day. It's like, oh, you believe in that? I don't like you anymore. And it's like, all of a sudden, we have this group and this group and this group. And it's like, no, you can disagree. That's okay. But don't be disagreeable. You believe in that? I believe in the opposite. But hey, let's worship God together. (laughs) Not quarrelsome. We can disagree with each other's opinions, but let's not be disagreeable or start fights just because we don't see eye to eye. Let's reason together and still love one another. This is why the gospel needs to be central to our thoughts and our actions and our conversations. Someone said, short tempers do not lead to long ministries. Not covetous is the next one. This is the person who is never satisfied with anything. In leadership, contentment should be a character trait that is practiced because if not, our life is saying that we're not satisfied with what God has blessed us with. People covet a lot these days. Popularity, large ministries, carnal advancement. You name it, it's coveted. But this word centers on money specifically. Jesus warned about letting riches rule you. Why? Because it was a major problem back then, and it's a major problem today. Even in this list from Paul, it's mentioned a few times. A leader is one who rules his own house well. Paul recognizes that a male leader must remember that his first ministry is not the church, it's at home. If a father is not obeyed by his children, how will he run the house of God? He won't. He won't won't run it well. The pastor cannot be one thing at church and another thing at home. 
Or the children will see right through that. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, my dad is like so nice to everyone at, at church and, and Christian events, but at home he's just horrible. That's <laughs> like, that's, that's not a good witness, right? And generally speaking, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, we don't want to be hypocritical like that. Our lives should be the same here. Like, hey, everyone, not just like a smile, plastic face, like, hey, everything's great, even though you're like hating everyone or whatever, and you go out and you just go crazy. It's like, our lives should line up wherever we are with the word of God. Or the children are going to be jaded when they're older. We need to demonstrate hearts that seek. And we're not, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about being perfected, being refined by the Lord throughout time, letting God work on those things that need to be worked on in your heart and my heart. We need to demonstrate hearts that seek God at home, at church, at work, wherever we are. A leader is not to be a novice. When a person first comes to Jesus, they shouldn't be put into leadership right away. There's a time of refinement and a time of spiritual growing that needs to happen. And this happened with Paul when he was first saved, right? They were like, whoa, the other Christians were like, dude, this guy's radical. Get him away from us. He's scary. He's the guy that used to like get Christians killed, and now he's a Christian. I don't believe it. And also, age is not guaranteed indication that a person will be a good leader. Oh, you've been a believer for 30 years? Perfect. You're in. Like... There are some believers who have been walking with the Lord for decades, but they barely have grown in the faith. They're still gossiping and backbiting. They're just not obeying God. But before so, uh, a man is called to be a pastor, there's an interim time of spiritual growth and maturity. A leader is to have a good testimony. So the potential leader must have a good testimony outside of the church as well as inside of the church. The pastor's life must line up with the word of God. It doesn't mean being perfect, but it means the pastor seeking God, digging into his word, rightly dividing the Bible to the congregation. And I would say, pray for your pastors, not just because I'm a pastor. I'm not saying pray for me. I'm saying pray for your pastors out there in the world, you know, because they deal with a lot. I remember there was one guy at my, at my last church who, um, he was just always like, what do you do? Like as a pastor, you know, he was one of those ones that are like, oh, okay, they work once a week, about an hour. That's easy. I want that job. You just talk about the Bible. Cool. Um, but he didn't realize all this stuff. And I, went, I already got to the point where I just even made like a big old list. Like here's a list. I like literally emailed him a list. I'm like, here's all the stuff we do. Because he just kept pressing me. And he was like, oh, okay. But he didn't really believe me until he was ordained. And then after he was ordained, he's like, wow, you really are busy. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of weight that goes along with it. And... There's a lot that goes into it. Right now, my wife is leading worship. She's leading the women's ministry and all that. But God has, God has called me to plant the church. Like, now, Brianne does a lot. She even does more than me a lot of the time. But the responsibility he calls me to is to make continual decisions regarding Calvary Chapel Mobile. It's, and that's not a I'm leading, you better follow me attitude. But it's God has called me to this. So I need to take it seriously and seriously seek him fully and always. Because when I told my wife, yeah, you know, God's calling us to step out and plant a church, she's like, what? I don't want to go. <laughs> like she, did, she loved Southern California. She really wanted to stay there. And years before that, because God put it on my heart to plant a church years before, um, one time I played an April Fool's joke on her, and I, and I called her, and I was like, hey, babe. I was like, hey, the God, God is plant, you know, he's called us to plant a church in the Midwest. And there was silence on the line. You know, I was on the phone. I was at work. And she was, started crying. I'm like, April Fool's. I was like, I'm sorry. I, I, I wasn't trying to be mean, but she, she, that's how much she didn't want to leave Southern California. And so years later, when it was a serious thing, I told her, and she was like, I, I love Southern California. And so I had us fly over here to Mobile to get confirmation from God for her, because I had already flown over to get confirmation. 
So we'd be on the same page because I'm not going to plant a church if my wife's not on board. And so she was on board. She got confirmation the third day we were here. And we're blessed to be here. I know all of you and be part of each other's life. But, but I'm called to make these decisions based on the Lord's direction. And I'm accountable to God. So it's not a small thing. I do not see it as a small thing. So prayer is the way we gain strength and gain clarity for ministry decisions and moving forward. So these are the qualifications for the bishop or the pastor. Yet we also see these clear-cut character traits that God that God works on within us. And we know Jesus was and is the example of a servant leader that we get to follow. Jesus was a servant, but also made the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity.